Good morning. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We are exploring in this series what it means to walk with Christ. That is to, to live out an everyday journey with the Lord Jesus. One of the challenges that we face in walking with Christ is that we live in a world where we are frequently told not to do that. Maybe not quite that bluntly, maybe not in so many words. Um, But there are many different voices in this world telling us to follow a different path, go a different way. And some of those voices can be very um, persuasive. They offer very plausible-sounding arguments uh, for for not following Jesus, at least not following Jesus as he is revealed to us in the pages of the Bible. That was true when Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, the, these believers in Jesus in a town called Colossae. It's very true today. So he gives some instructions here on how to think about that um, how to deal with that, I want to look at those instructions with you and see how they apply to us. All right, so we're in Colossians 2, and I'm going to start in verse 4 and read down through verse 10. The Apostle Paul writing says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, Rejoicing to see your good order and your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So if you're a believer in Jesus, as you go through this life, you are going to have people tell you, that you should follow a different path. You should go a different way. You shouldn't do this follow Jesus thing. And Paul's response to that is to say, don't listen. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Uh, It might sound good. It might sound persuasive. But if it leads you away from following Christ Jesus the Lord, from walking with him, it's a delusion. It's a delusion, and delusions are dangerous. I think I said last time, the big problem with a delusion is when you have one, you don't think you do. It it seems real to you, but it isn't. I remember reading one time about a man under the influence of a hallucinogenic drug who was convinced he could fly, and he went to an upper story balcony and jumped off. Because he was convinced he could fly. He was wrong. And his delusion killed him. 
Now, most delusions aren't that dramatic, but if you base your life or a significant part of your life on a belief that isn't true, you're going to get hurt, and you could get hurt very badly. And that's why Paul warns his readers, and that includes us, not to be taken captive by false beliefs. I, I find his choice of words are very interesting, especially since those who advocate following another path instead of following Jesus, usually part of the reasoning for that is because you'll be more free. You'll be freer if you don't follow Jesus. And Paul says, no, you won't. You'll be less free. You'll be a captive. I want to take his warning seriously here. I don't want to be deluded. I don't want any of you to be deluded. So I just want to unpack what he is saying here. And then I want to address some questions that it raises. Here's how I would summarize Paul's warning in these verses. Don't look for better guidance than Jesus gives. Don't look for better guidance than Jesus gives. To walk with Christ means he is your guide. He's your guide. That's what it means to walk with Christ. He is your guide. He's your most important companion in life. And you need to stay close to your guide. You need to follow his instructions, his guidance. And if somebody comes along and offers you new and improved guidance, okay, because we're really into that, you know. I want the new and improved iPhone. I want the new and improved software. I want the new and improved car. We're all into new and improved. If somebody offers you new and improved guidance about following even a new and improved Jesus, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Stay with Jesus. Stay with his guidance. Or in the words of verse 6, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Why? Two quick reasons. First, because you can't find a better guide. You can't find a better guide than Jesus. It doesn't, that better guide doesn't exist. He is Christ Jesus the Lord. Verse 10, he is the head of all rule and authority. And in verse 9, look at this. In him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, God, the whole fullness of deity dwells in Jesus bodily. I mean, you, you just think about that. Think about that. Everything that makes God, God. Everything that makes God, God is in Jesus. So, infinite power, infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom, infinite goodness, infinite love. How could you possibly find a better guide? How could you get better guidance than from him? Who could possibly know what is better for you? Who could possibly be more committed to your welfare? If Jesus is who the eyewitnesses say he is, if Jesus is who he said he is, 
then the very idea that there could be better guidance out there than the guidance that he gives is just absurd. You can't find a better guide. The other reason is you don't need a better guide. You can't find one, and you don't need one anyway. You don't need a better guide. Look at verse 10. And in him you have been filled. You have been filled in him. In other words, he gives you everything you really need for the journey. He gives you everything you need for the journey. You're not lacking anything when you're with him and following his instructions. And so you just need to realize it and be content. I think that's the point of verse 7 where it talks about abounding in thanksgiving. You just got to realize all that we have in Christ and, and be thankful. Be content. You know, that's when we allow ourselves to get discontent, we, that's usually going to cause a lot of problems. You know, instead of focusing on all the good things we have, I was talking to somebody earlier today, comparing uh, what those poor people in Boston are going through compared to this morning. You might have got up this morning, I got up, my car had frost on it. Oh my gosh, I got to clean the frost off my windshield. Yeah, well, I don't have 20 feet of snow on top of my car. Be content. Overflow with thanksgiving. We allow ourselves to get discontent, not appreciating all that we have in Jesus. That sets us up for problems. If you are with Jesus, He is leading you on the path that is best for you to get you to your ultimate destination, which is... overflowing joy in your father's house and he's got everything he knows what it's going to take to get you there and if you need it he will make sure you have it when karen and i are taking a trip somewhere uh, usually while we're packing we'll begin to ask each other questions we find this helpful did you remember your toothbrush Did you pack socks? Did you pack enough? You know, do you have whatever? Because inevitably, inevitably, we forget something. But, you know, I don't worry about it as much as I used to. used to get kind of stressed out about it. I don't worry about it so much because I've realized even if I forget something, if I really need it, there's always Walmart. (laughs) I can go and I can buy it cheap if I really, really need it. Well, on this journey called life, I don't need to worry about lacking something I really need because I'm walking with Jesus. And Jesus will give me whatever I really need to get to the destination he's leading me to. I don't have to worry. Now, I might think I need something that I don't have, but if I really need it, He'll make sure I have it. In fact, he's told me everything I really need for the journey and where to find it. So I don't need another guide. There isn't a better one anyway. I don't need a better guide. I don't need any other guidance to get to where I really want to go. But as I said, you'll hear many voices in this world that will tell you otherwise. And this raises a couple of big questions that I want to address because I believe this passage uh, 
helps answer those questions. The first is, how do you know you have the right guide? How do you know you have the right guide? And we don't want to be wrong about this because the consequences are enormous. And I don't know if you're aware of it, but there are uh, many different Jesuses being proclaimed in our world. You know, many different ideas of who Jesus is. Uh, you'll have people come to your door and they'll tell you about Jesus and it sounds like it's the same and it's not. It's a different Jesus. Um, and so there's the politically correct Jesus, there's the politically conservative Jesus, the politically liberal Jesus. The, you know, they're, they're, every group's got their different idea of who Jesus is. How do you know the real Jesus? How do you know who he really is? Well, I want you to look at verses 6 and 7. This is really important. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Now look at the emphasis here. Established in the faith. Now here, faith, the faith, that's not talking about our act of believing, now, very often that is what it means in the Bible when it talks about faith. My faith is my, my act of believing in God, believing in Jesus. But that's not what it means here. Here, it's not talking about the act of believing. It's talking about what we believe. The content of what we believe. The faith. That is, the Christian faith. The doctrines, the truths that were taught. See that? He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the historical gospel, the good news that was proclaimed about who Jesus really is and what he really did so that we could be right with God, so that we could be rescued from life without God and we could begin to experience life with God. The gospel. Paul talked about this back in chapter 1. When he said this, look at verses of 5 through 7. Of this you have heard, you Colossians, you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's saying, you got the gospel. You got the message of truth. Epaphras brought it to you from us. And so Paul is telling them, stick with the faith. Stick with the gospel that you have already been taught. Which means this. The way to know the real Jesus is through the genuine gospel. And the way, the way you know the real gospel is through the teaching of his chosen messengers that he taught and sent and wrote it down for us. That's how you know the real Jesus. You get the real Jesus through the real gospel. You get the real gospel through his messengers 
his apostles, whom he sent. He taught it to them. They proclaimed it, and they wrote it down for us. And this is the consistent message of the Bible. Look at Jude 1.3. Jude says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you, look at this, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, to believers in Jesus. See what it says? The faith. Strive for the faith. Cling to the faith. Even fight for the faith. That's what contend means, not you know physical brawling. But uh, make sure you've got the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's the same thing Paul's talking about here. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and look at this, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. One more. Galatians 1, 8, and 9. This one's really strong. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Wow, that is strong. Hear what Paul's saying? Paul says, you know, if I come to you later and I say, hey, you know that gospel that I preached to you the first time I came? Okay, I got some improvements on that. No. No. The genuine Jesus is revealed in the genuine gospel. And the genuine gospel is the one proclaimed by the apostles and written down for us. It's so important that we know that. That's how you know the real Jesus that's how you know the real guide. Okay, now the other question, the big question is, okay, so which guidance is from our guide? Which guidance is from our guide? In other words, which teaching, which instructions, which directions does Jesus want you to follow? And the reason this is an issue is because a lot of people are saying a lot of different things about what Christians should believe and what Christians should do, and some of the things that are being said contradict each other completely. So how do you know? How do you know which guidance is really guidance from our guide? I want to give you a current example here, just to kind of bring this home. All right, show you why this is an issue. Rob Bell is the former pastor of Mars Hill Church, a big church in Michigan, Granville, Michigan. He recently appeared on a show hosted by Oprah Winfrey. During his appearance, he made some comments about this very contentious issue of redefining marriage to include same-sex unions which he's in favor of doing and which he and many others are urging Christians to support that redefinition or at least not to oppose it. Now, the thing I want you to see or hear is why he's in favor of that particular bit of guidance. I'm going to quote him. He says this, I think culture 
is already there. And the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. I think culture is already there and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago. Now, you just need to understand that what he is saying would not simply apply to this one issue. It would apply to pretty much every issue, particularly every issue relating to what Christians historically have believed is God's good design for human sexuality and marriage and human flourishing. Okay, Because what Christians have historically believed to be the truth about God's design for human sexuality is pretty much completely out of sync with American culture on everything. All right? And the reason Christians have believed all of these very unpopular things about sex and marriage and so on is because we thought, we thought we were following the guidance of our guide as contained in this collection of writings from apostles and prophets that we call the Bible. But now here's a former pastor of a very large Christian church who says, no, that guidance is not correct because it comes from documents that are 2,000 years old. And he's not alone. You're going to hear this argument a lot. And you're going to hear it from very well-educated people, very smart people, very nice people, very articulate, persuasive people. All you have to do is ask around. You can try this on the bus sometime, or anytime you're in a group of people, just say, hey, do you think, do you think we should follow what the Bible teaches about sex and marriage? For example, do you think this? Do you think that we should follow the Bible teaching that people should not have sex before marriage? Try that one out. They're going to look at you like you got two heads. They'll say, are you kidding me? Of course we shouldn't follow the guidance of a 2,000-year-old book. Who would be so stupid as to do that? That's crazy. And what's funny is the 2,000-year-old parts are the youngest parts. Their parts here are 3,500 years old. So what guidance does Jesus want us to go with? You know, those, those who tell us that we should change our position on sex and marriage and other things almost inevitably appeal to the need to be more loving. You need to be more loving. Are they right? Which guidance is the right guidance? Well, I'm going to make a couple of comments, and I'll give you what I think is the correct answer. First, first comment. The age of a teaching is completely irrelevant as to whether or not it is true and good. How old a teaching is is not the issue at all. And suggesting that the Bible is incorrect on sex and marriage and so on because it's old, is frankly, i try to find a more polite way to say it, but I can't, it's just stupid. That's a stupid argument. And it, it, just think about it. Rob Bell and others are telling us that Christians need to be more loving. 
Okay, why should we be more loving? Because Jesus is big on us loving others. But wait, that teaching comes from those same 2,000-year-old documents. Now what we're doing is we're picking and choosing which 2,000-year-old teachings we agree with and which 2,000-year-old teachings we disagree with. And the reason we disagree with them has nothing to do with how old they are. We just don't like them. Second, how do we even know what the most loving thing to do on any issue is? How do we know? If love means doing what is in people's best interest, how do we know what that is? Who knows best? Pop culture? The majority? Scholarly consensus? Those things change. They change all the time. What if the majority says today, this is what's in people's best interest, and then tomorrow says, no, this is what is in people's best interest? See, this is the heart of the issue. The crucial question about guidance is, where does it come from? Whose guidance is this? See, that's the issue in verse 8. Does this guidance come from human tradition? In other words, mankind's best guesses. Or does it come from Christ in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily? Christ's guidance is God's guidance. That's what that's saying. Okay, how do we find that? Here's what I believe to be the answer. We find that in Scripture. In God's Word written down for our good. And that's really not my answer. That's Jesus' answer. That's what he says consistently again and again. Jesus, wise Jesus, loving Jesus says this. Now, I wish I had time to just show you this in detail. I really don't. But on the back of your note sheet, there is a, just a snapshot here of what Jesus says about Scripture and why the guidance of Scripture is his guidance. Okay, and and there's so much more. There's so much more. In fact, I'd encourage you to just read through the Gospels, the four biographies we have of Jesus, and just notice how many times Jesus appeals to Scripture to settle an issue. Again and again, he does this. I just want to look at one example with you. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6. And I think this is an especially relevant example because it deals with the issue of marriage, and it shows us the guidance Jesus thinks we should go with on this topic. All right, verse 3. Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read? (laughs) Okay, look what he's doing. He says, hey, guys. There's some writings you really need to know. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay. Do you realize what Jesus is quoting from to settle this argument? He's quoting from Genesis. Genesis 2.24. That's one of the oldest books in the book. It was 1,500 years old when Jesus quoted it. That's old. That's really old. And yet Jesus, to his way of thinking, it is completely relevant. And here's the thing I really want you to see. Jesus says, look what he says, He who created them, who's that? That's God. That's the creator. He who created them made the male and female and said. You see that? See that little word said? He who created them made the male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave, etc., etc. So according to Jesus, what Moses wrote in Genesis 2.24 is something the creator said. And Jesus says things like that all the time, again and again. He said, Scripture cannot be broken. He said, He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He said, Everything written about Him in the law and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. And He said, Heaven and earth would pass away, but His words would never pass away. If you take Jesus seriously, if you take our guide seriously, it's pretty clear where he thinks we can find the right guidance. It's pretty clear. Now, do we need to be extremely careful that we read it carefully and we understand it carefully and not let our biases and our ignorance, whatever ignorance and bias we have, lead us to a wrong understanding or application? And do we need to be absolutely loving in our application? Of course we do. Of course we do. But don't just call it old. And don't just disregard it because our culture thinks it's irrelevant and then think somehow you're being faithful to Jesus in doing that. You can't be more loving than Jesus. You can't be more wise than Jesus. Okay? To think that we can be more loving, to think that we can be more wise, you know what that is? That's a delusion. That is a delusion. Don't be taken captive by it. Stick with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you love us, and you love everybody. You love this whole world. You love us in all of our brokenness and our confusion. And into our confusion, you have spoken, and you have told us what is best. And Lord, there are so many times when what you say is best just doesn't seem to fit. And we need to decide if we're going to trust you or not. 
And I pray that you will help us not get deluded and not be led astray. Not just so we can be right, but so we can know you. And we can know your joy and we can share that joy and that love compassionately and graciously. Lord, help us. You did not give us your truth to beat people on the head with it. You gave us your truth so we could have true freedom. And others could know that freedom as well. Help us share it as graciously, as lovingly, because we do love people and we want them to know you and know your truth and not get hurt. Help us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Lead us. May you be our guide. May we trust your guidance. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.